Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 88. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who run a business while traveling in an RV. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Alex Etzel. Alex is an artist, solo traveler, and has been on the road in her cool bus, which is a converted mini school bus since August of 2016. A few of the things that we cover on today's episode is how she was able to build out her bus on a ridiculously small budget and saved up for full-time travel while working as a barista at a coffee shop in California. Talk about how she found different jobs across the country to fund her travels, everything from working on a bar in New Orleans to using a app called WAG, which is kind of like Uber for dog walking gigs, to roll into different cities and basically walk people's dogs for money. All the interviews I've done in the past year and a half for The RV Entrepreneur have really all been a mix of travel, business, and just life on the road in general, RV life. A lot of the episodes skew more towards one of these avenues or the other. Maybe some people are more business-minded or they have a lot more business experience and some people have, are just really into the RV life at the moment and that's all they want to talk about, you know, really nerdy RV details. And with Alex's interview, it's a lot more travel. I finished up this interview with Alex feeling inspired to have a whimsical adventure on the road. And I love Alex's story for a few different reasons. One, she's 23 years old and has faced her fears and is continuing to grow as an artist, as an entrepreneur. And she's starting to realize that the skills she has picked up on the road are going to help propel her forward in life. Without giving away too much of the interview, she said that she met a business owner during her travels in the past year, and he told her that if he was looking to hire somebody and had two different candidates, and one of them was her who had been traveling around the country for the past year alone and working all these different jobs and learning how to support herself on her own, that he would hire her on the spot because her new resume was travel. And what he meant by that was that as part of this trip, she had to overcome a lot of different obstacles, obstacles such as buying an old bus to renovate when she had no carpenter-like skills or knew how to remodel or anything like that, working on limited funds being constantly outside her comfort zone, getting over the pressure from family and friends to not go on a trip like this, learn how to hustle and find job opportunities along the way, and navigating the country by herself and finding places to even park each night. All of these different obstacles instilled a crazy amount of confidence in Alex, whether it was her goal or not, has given Alex a lot of marketable skills. If she was going up against other job candidates or trying to land a client, and what it does is it gives her a different life view. This is something I've thought about quite a bit with Hourly America because there's been different points during our travels where I just have these moments and I'm like, I live in an RV. I've made a documentary. I host a podcast. We're doing a conference. Sometimes I do client work and we're working on a software. So I feel kind of pulled in so many different directions sometimes. But looking back, all of these different things have given us different marketable skills, things that we can take and apply to the real job market, whether that's for our own business or we're landing clients or even if we needed a job one day. These are all things that have come back, come full circle. And even if we didn't realize it in the moment, travel really does have a way of giving you a different life view, which has actual market value, 
whenever you're charging clients and things like that. So I know that's not a lot of the intention whenever you get into travel, but if everybody else is doing the same thing, going out and traveling actually gives you this different perspective that can be applied in the business world to think outside the box and challenge people and just an overall confidence. And so I had a lot of fun in this interview with Alex. You guys are going to love hearing about her year on the road, this crazy adventure. Uh, let's jump into this interview with Alex Etzel. All right, Alex, thanks for being on the podcast with me. No worries. <laughs> when you're like, if we were to just meet and I'm asking you, what is your story and like why you've been traveling around the country in a school bus for the past year, what would you say? Well, I studied abroad for a year, last year of college, and I got to see so much of Europe on a, such a small budget. I really wanted to do that back here at home in the United States since I hadn't spent much time outside of California. And so once I got back, I thought that living in a RV would be really cool. And the more research I did on RVs, the more I found like the videos on people renovating school buses. So I just kind of said, okay, I could do this and um, bought a bus. The hardest part of this whole thing was just buying the bus in the first place. And then from there on everything went surprisingly smoothly. I just took it one day at a time, one step at a time, took out all the seats, put in hardwood floor, painted it, insulated the walls, and then got a bed, a stove, a table up, and I kind of hit the road. I wanted to see just more outside of California, and I decided in the bus to go places that I've never been before, which there were a lot of places outside of California I had never been, and I had this whole list, so I made a big kind of like figure eight <laughs> around the United States and just to learn about other people and other areas. And it's been amazing, gratifying, and very eye-opening, especially how everything is going with politics now. I got some very interesting sides from random people I met while traveling. I think if you're just kind of looking at the world through the viewpoint of Facebook, that it's really easy to think that everybody hates everybody and that the world is just a terrible place and but then you go out and like you experience the whole country and all these random people. And, you know, every, it turns out there's a right? lot like most people are, are pretty nice and good people. And uh, but the more you stay in, I think the easier it is to be jaded on all of that. Yeah, definitely. And it was a very interesting group that I got to meet on all these different places. I met people like in places like gas stations and campsites. I just struck up like two our conversations with of all ages, all demographics. And that was really cool. <laughs> I didn't really have to go looking for anything. It just kind of all was there for me. <laughs> so whenever you were, you were working at a coffee shop in San Diego, kind of saving up to go and hit the road. What was kind of the idea mm -hmm. with this, like behind this whole road trip? Like what did you imagine? Was there a goal or was the idea just, I there's a lot of places out there and I want to go see them. That's a really good question. There wasn't really a huge like end goal or anything. It was just kind of to get out there. I got so consumed with the process of building the bus that when it was all kind of, it's never finished, but when it was all finished enough for me, I was like, oh yeah, now I have to go travel in it. Like, <laughs> I got really into the building part of it for so long that when the traveling came up, I had to kind of bring it back in and focus on that. <laughs> I mean, are you pretty savvy with building stuff? Oh, oh my gosh. No. It was my first time building anything. And I just looked at things on YouTube, you know, people's websites. And it was funny 
building because I didn't have a workshop or anything. I just parked the van on the street in this like Pacific beach, which is like a really nice beach town. And um, everybody in the neighborhood knew who I was either from seeing me work on the bus or working at the coffee shop, like the local coffee shop. And um, a lot of people, a lot of guys would come up to me. They'd be like, Oh, you know, um, my buddy's a carpenter, so he can like build this for you or make this for you or teach you how to do this. And after a while, I kind of like, I was like, I don't, I don't want somebody to do it for me. You know, I don't need, I don't need help. I can figure this out. It took a lot of trial and error, but I figured almost all of it out on my own. And sometimes a little, I was a little bit put down like, oh, where's your husband or where's your boyfriend? I was like, no, just me. Or um, people would say like, oh, you know, you can't do this. You can't do this. This is too dangerous. This is too hard. No, I can. I think the the biggest like surprise compliment I got was this older gentleman who who knew who I was from passing by. He would always come into the coffee shop and brag about his sons. They were successful, like doctors and lawyers. And then one day he saw me work on the bus and was like, oh, wow. I talked to him about it. And he said, I wish my sons were a little bit more like you. And I just about dropped dead. I was so flattered. It's so funny how in a, in a kind of a weird, not meaning to go down the side tangent rabbit hole. Like I, and never really known uh, sexism, you know, like I obviously as a guy, like I hadn't really felt it against me, but being out on the road, I felt it against Alyssa. Like the other day we were getting yeah. our, our MacBook fixed in the store and we were talking to the guy and he was asking us like what we were, while we were at this random Apple store in New York when, you know, our address is in Texas and we said we've been in an RV the past years. And he's like, that's really cool that your husband let, you know, like lets you travel. <laughs> it was like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was extremely degrading. And I just felt Alyssa, I didn't no. even like look at Alyssa because I could feel. But I mean, <sighs> there has been a lot of that. Like, did Heath have to talk you into it? It was like her idea to initially go to all 50 states. <laughs> and, you know, she was just as instrumental, if not more than me, in actually making it happen. And uh, but people just kind of have this perception that there's got to be a guy. I don't know. It's like I'd never really experienced that until going around the country with her. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And being alone and getting all that, and sometimes I, nobody else hears it but me. But you just have to take it with a grain of salt, take it as a compliment, and then just remember that you have to be the winds of change. You know, you have you are that that person that might change their their view on you know building a table on your own, something that small to like as big as traveling the United States on your own. Exactly. You're never really alone. Like <laughs> totally, there's always people out there who are going to help. And uh, I was I was reading on your yeah. blog, and you said that. You it makes you cringe whenever people say it's a good thing that you're doing this while you're young. I we get that a lot too. I mean, we're almost the same age. Yeah. But, but why do you, I want to hear from you? Like, why do you hate that line? I don't know. Um, people have been saying that to me since I took my first like big solo trip abroad, which you know, looking back, wasn't that big. I went to go volunteer in South Africa, and it was years ago. People are like always been telling me since then. Oh, it's a good thing you're doing this while you're young, before you settle down, before you. You know, all of that. I'm sure you know. I just don't like it because I think it's just an excuse, like, later on, like, why you can't do something. I parked by bus on a beach, and this guy asked if he could park camp next to me that night, just right on the sand. It was wonderful. And he was retired, and he was in his 60s, and he wanted to buy a van. And I peeked inside of it, and there was just, a, like, a military cot and a bicycle and a kayak. And he's like, been doing this for all wants to do it forever like look at him you know <laughs> you're never too old or too anything to pick up and, and and go for it it's just excuses in my and to me 
<laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree. And the reason why I'm not a huge fan of that line is I get there's always like I, I can only have my own outlook, which is a guy who's 26 and has been on the road a few years and I haven't had a family yet. Um, you know, I don't have any, we don't have any kids or anything like that. So again, this is coming from that perhaps lack of perspective. But for me, the reason why I don't like that line is because I, I feel like it implies that again, like you can't, like you can only do it during this window of time, which I don't want to believe that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to believe that you can only do it from 20 to 26 and then you've got to, you know, settle down. Cause that would mean I only have a few more months of doing this. So anyway, getting to your story, <laughs> you decided that you're going to hit the road, you buy a bus. So kind of walk me through like the transition of you like gearing up to hit the road. Like how long was that process and what were you doing during that time? Oh, well, definitely the hardest part for me was getting rid of stuff. I love hanging on to stuff. I still have a few boxes of stuff at my parents' place, you know. There's some things I just can't hang out of memory's sake. But getting rid of stuff that I didn't need and I didn't, like, why be attached to this toaster oven, you know, get rid of it, stuff like that. So kind of purging of all these items that I don't need, especially while in a van. I'm trying to live more by if you don't use it, if you haven't used it in the last, year or two you know let it go type of thing but um so getting rid of things and then how else did I get ready I I very lightly planned I very lightly planned the trip I kind of pinpointed my route roughly and then I knew you know once I got going things would change and I would adjust to somebody said well you should go to this town you know an hour more north just check it out and that's how things changed during the the course of traveling and then there wasn't too much I could do besides get the van ready to go getting myself ready was more like you're never completely ready to take off you'll never have everything you need but you learn along the way you know I mean was there any I know you had already done a little bit of travel but was there any fears that you had you know being by yourself traveling Mm -hmm. around no and of course the the first couple nights on the road kind of getting my bearings on where to park was like <laughs> the first night out I was in the back of the Sierra Nevadas and like <laughs> didn't know where I was gonna park I ended up parking behind this this like water tower and I was so scared all night and I called one of my friends they're like telling me scary stories about axe murderers I'm like, oh, you guys are so helpful you know but after a week or so of that and like getting used to the fact that you're parking someplace new every night or two and it's going to be quiet you're going to hear noises but there's such a slim slim like 0.001% chance it's somebody coming to you know get you kill you in your sleep <laughs> nobody once during over a year of traveling in the bus knocked on my window or door and was like you can't park here nobody 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 messed with me at all I had a bicycle on a rack in the back too. And I always thought if somebody was going to do something, they'd try to steal it and nobody touched it. You know, mm. It was crazy how, how safe it actually was. Somebody even mentioned to me too, that I had parked in a neighborhood and the next day. Like, oh, is this your, your van? Oh, it's really neat, but it looks really creepy at night. And I kind of thought, good. Then nobody will bother me. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah, I kind of felt that with our first rig because it was, you know, 20 years old. And it kind of, Breaking Bad was kind of at its pick- pinnacle. And so it kind of almost looked oh. a little bit like the Breaking Bad bus. So if anything, like they're scared of you. 
Yeah, no, that's hilarious. So uh, a lot of people have asked just about like art, being an artist on the road. And I know that Mm -hmm. you've been an artist for a long time. So can you talk a little bit about like how you were actually planning to finance this trip, like leading up to it, and then how that kind of evolved as you went along? Because you were on the road for a year and you just sold your bus Mm -hmm. sunshine and you're going to teach English as a second language in Thailand. But can you kind of talk through like what your thought process was for saving up and making money on the road? I saved up before I left as much as I possibly could. And moving out of my apartment and into the van, like as soon as there was a bed in it, save money on rent. And when you're not paying rent and utilities, that's a lot more that just goes straight to your savings. So that helped a ton being in the van before I left, just around in the neighborhood. And everybody again knew who I was anyway. And I was no threat to anything. And I, and I moved often in the neighborhood. So that was really helpful with saving up in the beginning. I was commissioned while traveling to do a couple of art pieces. I do a dog portraits. The people will see them or I'll tell them about them and all of a sudden they feel the urge to spend a lot more money on their pet again and buy a dog portrait. So I did some of those. I did WAG, which is a dog walking app in different cities while traveling. And halfway through, about halfway through this adventure, I stopped in New Orleans and I was painting houses in exchange for a place to park and shower and use a bathroom. And then at night, I worked a job at a bar during Mardi Gras on uh, Bourbon Street, and that was a really excellent way to just, like, save money again. I felt more driven than I have in the past to make art for myself as well. I started doing a series of just, like, little collage paintings of every state that I went to. I'm still working on the last couple ones. (laughs) I'm a little bit behind, but the rest of them are all up online and just kind of like the things that I saw and affected me in each state and that was a bigger project that I stuck with surprisingly when I get motivated to make art usually I start things I don't finish things I'll do one painting out of the three that I had planned or whatever but this was a series that I actually am just about done with like finishing the last one today and I'm I'm surprised at myself how motivated this got me (laughs) That's awesome. More art for myself. And I, uh, I looked at some of the, uh, the state illustrations that you've done. They were awesome. Uh, cause I read some of those posts Thanks. and you're welcome. And, uh, <clears throat> total side tangent that just popped into my head, but I saw on Instagram that you went to that creepy six flags in new Orleans. And, uh, I really want to hear about that because oh, yeah. I have, uh, I have like this weird fascination with abandoned places and, um, I'm, I'm kind of a chicken oh, yeah. to actually go to a lot of them in person. So I'm just going to live vicariously through you. But anyway, kind of like getting into some of the, like the more granular uh, logistics of it. Uh, would you mind sharing like a little bit of how much you were able, if you don't mind, like like saving up? Like, did you have a goal? Were you trying to save up like 10000 15000 or in like some of your rough costs while on the road? Just so like if there's other solo travelers out there, you can kind of be like, yeah, this is around what it costs me. Or do you know those off the top of your head? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a really um, common thing that people ask. And I think it's great because you have to be realistic about this stuff. Um, I didn't factor in my school bus from 1987 breaking down as often as it did. (laughs) So that was a little bit of a setback cost-wise. But I left with about $6,000 that I had worked to save. And a lot of the renovations for the bus 
was really inexpensive. I found a lot of the wood on <laughs> outside of construction sites being thrown away. I pulled nails out and used a lot of wood that had, um, I was just recycling things. And then when it came to other things in the bus, I took the, like the cheap way on the flooring, the cheapest pop way. So the bus itself wasn't too consuming, but the repairs later on became more and more of a, um, just difficult to pay for. But when I left with $6,000, I the frugal about the bus didn't get that great of gas mileage. So, um, but gas is a lot cheaper outside of California too. So that was kind of balancing out. Um, I was doing a lot of cooking in it. That saved me a ton on eating, eating out, just cooking like a big thing of pasta and eating it every day and having oatmeal for breakfast and a coffee. And then, um, that kind of went a long way with cost wise. And then let's see the big issue that I had was when the transmission broke down, that was a very expensive repair. Um, besides that, they were all just kind of here and there, little things that had to be fixed. But that one was the one that I like reached out for help for. It was my birthday coming up. And so for like that and Christmas, I asked my parents and my sister, I'll chip in and help me fix the transmission. So that one I was kind of off the hook for. Thank goodness. (laughs) Was there any point, there was like a halfway point during our first year on the road, because it was just going to be a year and then it's kind of expanded to be just ongoing. And um, there was a point where we had lost a fridge and I had been shoving groceries into a freezer, buying ice like every few days. And then it got to a point where we were actually in Maine where we are now. And it was colder outside. I hadn't bought ice and it was colder outside to put the groceries outside. And I just woke up and I was just like, this sucks. It just kind of hit like a breaking point where like, you know, we weren't making a ton of money yet or anything like that. And so like, did you have any points like that during your year on the road or was it just the transmission? And Oh, totally. Yeah, that's why I say that because I had a fridge and I decided it was smart to have the fridge run on solar that I put on top of the bus and um, I could run it during the daytime. I didn't think about that. So I only had the fridge on during the daytime. At nighttime, I kind of opened it up because it would get cold inside the bus until it was summer and then it was kind of an issue. I had to buy ice too. But I think it was right after the transmission got fixed. I was headed down south towards color, or away from Denver. I'm driving the bus. I'm really happy. New transmission. Everything's fine. And about an hour out, it just like stops running on the freeway. And it's nighttime and it's raining. And I like had enough momentum to get to his shoulder. And <laughs> a week before it was big in the news, um, this lady, her car broke down the side of the highway and she got out and then a truck hit her and pinned her to her car and she died. And I kept thinking about that. Oh and I gosh. called the mechanic and I'm like crying. And I'm like, here, come back and help me fix it. And it's broken. And so he, he came back with his wife, you know, at 11 o'clock at night and got the bus to run fixing it with duct tape. Um, I think it was slipping into neutral. So he fixed whatever with duct tape, got it back to the shop, had me overnight, bought me dinner. Um, I slept at their place, had jacuzzis or had cocktails in their jacuzzi and like slept with their three big dogs and I woke up and they had breakfast for me. He fixed it for free and I was on my way. So it would very interestingly happen where it would go to like a really crappy situation and then all of a sudden go up from there. It was this huge roller coaster the whole time I was traveling. Oh my gosh. So that was the guy who had originally (laughs) fixed it and you were like 20 minutes down the road? 
I was like an hour out. Yeah. Wow. And he drove and an hour and came to pick died. you up or to fix it. That's it was crazy. Like, yeah. Yeah. At first I was like, he ripped me off. You know, I hate the guy. And I called him back and then they turned out to be the most wonderful, wonderful people. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I, yeah, we had a couple of those experiences, not that quite that crazy. So, uh, going back to some of the ways that you're making income on the road. So wag, tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. that. It's like, um, an app where you walk people's dogs, kind of like Uber. So you do it on your own time. And, um, I'm not advertising this in any way or like yeah. getting paid by them. It was just a really nice way to make money. And after doing about 25 dog walks, some people would request, you know, can you walk my dog a little bit longer, pay you a little bit more? They'd have two dogs, so you get paid more by the app for two dogs. And so after about 25 walks and on top of the tips that they give you through the app, I made like $500. So that would be fun <laughs> and easy. And usually people aren't home. So you just go into their house, they'll leave a key and you go in and get their dog, walk their dog. <laughs> That's awesome. So this was just random side income during the trip that you would just roll into a city and just turn on your app that you were in the city and you're like an official dog walker there. Yeah, you you get a background check. They want to make sure. And then you get an interview. You know, they make sure you know a lot about dogs. And then you get hired onto this app and you start walking dogs. It's actually really fun. That's awesome. Do you get to charge like your own rate or is there like set rates or how does that work? It's a set rate, um, but like I said, you kind of, if there's an extra dog or they want like a longer walk for their dog, you get paid more than that set rate. And then they'll almost always tip you, you know, you leave kind of a, a summary at the end of how the walk went. You talk a lot about their dog. They'll probably tip you a little bit more how wonderful their dogs are. They always all are wonderful. Yeah. Do you think that that's like a sustainable type of income if you really wanted to do a ton of dog walking like if you rolled into a city like how long did it typically take before you got inquiries i'm just curious like if this is just a side way for people to make income on the road it's kind of cool i hadn't heard of it yeah i get about like 15 or so updates every day on the walks that are around probably more than that actually and so i could but they wasn't in every single major city like they didn't have wag in new orleans so that picks up a different job and then having while i was in new orleans i stopped for three months there and i worked during mardi gras at a bar and that was a really good way of income because mardi gras everyone's you know drinking and tipping and it's it's fun to work during that time too um but they didn't have wag there so that wasn't even an option gotcha did did you plan on sticking around new orleans for a few months or did you that just kind of happen I really wanted to go for Mardi Gras and I got a different Mardi Gras experience because I was staying at kind of like, they called it a compound. It was a group of houses where all the backyards faced each other and they had room for me to park the bus and then people would let me shower at their places. And in exchange, I did yard work and I, during the daytime and I um, painted houses and you know, there's still, there's flooding that happens there and there was still, some flooding, I'm sure, damage from Katrina that had happened so many years ago. But, you know, it's still very prevalent in a lot of people's lives. They all have stories about Katrina. But so I was doing that during the daytime there. Yeah. And so uh, they threw a giant Mardi Gras party there at their place. So I kind of helped 
with the party too. So I kind of saw Mardi Gras from the inside out in a way. And then working on Bourbon Street, like you're not the one drinking and partying on Bourbon Street. You're the one trying to like make sure everybody's got a drink in their hand. I'm working as a cocktail server through Mardi Gras. So you're seeing all the parades that go by, you know, all night and everything. But you're kind of watching it from the inside out from the service industry. And then every night, you know, after work or the place closed and we cleaned up, we would all go to the little bar that all the service industry, the service industry people would go to have drinks after work and they would turn away normal customers. You like had to be in the service industry in Bourbon Street to work there. They called it like the trenches since it got so crazy during Mardi Gras. And that was really fun too. So I saw it from the eyes of like almost more like a local, which was really neat. I didn't just go to the French Quarter and have a hand grenade and catch some bees and call it a night. No, I was like there all through Mardi Gras and St. Patrick's Day after, which was just as fun. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because you you kind of leave, like you said, you didn't have too much plants, but then you get immersed into all these little different communities and friends and like you get these side gigs and you meet people that you weren't expecting. And uh, I think that's the really cool thing about travel. It's like, oh, all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, you have a job in New Orleans for a few months and you're there and getting to meet all these people that you wouldn't have otherwise met and getting these really cool experiences. And it's like, it's a little bit different than, you know, just being in Redondo Beach all the time. Yeah. And it's crazy because you get immersed into all these, yeah, little niches and side groups. And uh, New Orleans was amazing. Everybody was great. But every time I stopped for a longer time, like a longer period of time, got kind of like welcomed into these little families, then I just had to leave. Hmm. And I almost didn't leave New Orleans. I loved it there. And I loved the people there. But I had to like slap myself across the face and be like, no, (laughs) you have to finish this trip, you know? (laughs) Don't, um, but yeah, and, it, and then you have to, like, break your heart again and, and leave these people. But at the same time, you're excited to move on. So it's, like, this roller coaster of emotion, this bittersweet, like, theme for the trip. What was the biggest surprise to living and working and traveling the country in a bus? The bus, since I left the cool bus lettering um, on there instead of school bus, a lot of people just kind of during the daytime, if I was at a rest stop and had the door open to get some fresh air and eat some lunch or whatever, people just come on over and start chatting with you. They just kind of assume that you were a friendly person and then they'd look around and, where's your, where's your boyfriend? No, my, he's not traveling. I don't have one, <laughs> you know. Oh, and then, and then all the questions would come. But then in exchange, I got to know somebody new, random, just completely random people. So it was so funny how many people approached me instead of me having to approach other people just because I kind of left the the bus, the you know, like with the cool bus on it. And it's also while driving, people would roll down their windows to say something. I'd check my review mirror and the person who's taking pictures, they see me looking at them, they stop. Like, it's not a problem. <laughs> it's really funny. It was, it was really different. So once I got to Maine and I sold the bus, I road tripped with a friend back to Chicago and with all my boxes. And then from Chicago, I rented a car. It took me a week to drive from Chicago back home to Los Angeles. And then, I, you know, I was back on the road again, but I was camping instead of staying in a bus. And it wasn't fun. Nobody talked to me. Nobody nobody reached out to me. Nobody, you know, I'm driving a, a rental Kia. Nobody wanted to strike up a conversation with me. You're not in a, you're not in a cool bus anymore. Oh, it was crazy. And so... 
know, sometimes I'd be going around, you know, and thinking about how it would be different if I had a different vehicle that I was driving, how it might have been more isolating, more lonely, because I was doing the whole trip alone. And I never really felt alone because, you know, you roll up to a campsite. And one, one time in Texas, I pulled up to a campsite, a free campground, and all these little boys kind of like, like running back and forth looking at it and then finally yeah you guys totally look around you think it's cool and then I decided to it was this boys christian camp you know smack dab in the middle of the bible belt for dinner showed me how they like hated their giant roast (laughs) or their pork butt and like i got to dance and sing songs and go around a campfire and then they we had breakfast together in the morning. That would have never happened without us. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so when most of the time when you're camping, like, did you ever pay for like a campground in the whole year? So it depended. A lot of free land to camp on the West LM land. There was some water managed land in Florida that had free campgrounds. Um, I really, really, really tried not to pay for anywhere. There was, Times where I was going a period of time with no shower and I had to do laundry and it was kind of all these things and then it was only then and it was only a couple times I kind of caved in and stayed at a KOA. I would like take that whole night to do laundry and take a shower and kind of get everything organized again and like watch a movie, use their Wi-Fi and then get back to not paying for campgrounds for, for a long time. I took a lot of showers at like beaches, the free showers outside or lakes in the lake, in the shower, <laughs> by the lake. Once in a while, I'd pay for a shower at a truck stop. They're so clean. They're so clean. I was shocked how clean the truck stop shower. Sometimes even truckers would kind of have a feeling that I wasn't a truck driver. I a few free shower tokens or whatever because they a bunch of them for truck driving. That was really sweet. But I tried not to have to pay for any place to stay. There were a few nights where... I almost got hotels because there's no air conditioning in the bus and it would get so hot sometimes. (laughs) So you never caved in and you never, wow, that's impressive. And, uh, so would you say (laughs) with, with the year, with the year of, uh, RVing or I I guess, do do you still call living in a bus? We'll say yes. In a year of RVing, uh, would you say you probably did less than five nights that you paid for? I would say about once a month I would pay for a KOA or if I didn't for two months, Maybe I splurged into two the next month or something. Yeah, but I found most of my campsites through freecampsites.net. Or, you know, if I was in kind of a bigger city, like I got really nervous about doing New York, being in the van. I want to drive it into New York and God forbid, you know, have something happen. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded like a nightmare trying to drive it through the traffic anyway. So I stayed at a Walmart outside of the city across the Lincoln Tunnel in New Jersey, and it was fantastic. There were a ton of other RVers in that Walmart, and then there was a bus that came right up to Walmart in the Walmart parking lot and took you straight into the city and back on a round trip. Really? So I did New York pretty inexpensively. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I could tell you exactly where that, that Walmart is to know. But so I sometimes if I was in a bigger city, I'd stay at a Walmart. Sometimes I'd be driving, and I would see – you know, a really nice rest stop with security all all night and bathrooms and all night. So I'd stop there. Um, 
that was a lot on the East Coast, a lot of rest stops I stayed at. And, or I'd, I'd pull up to these rest stops at night when it's completely dark and wake up in the morning and there's like a in the back of, you know, like beautiful places on the East Coast. Sometimes I'd park in neighborhoods. I tried not to, but since everything was pretty self-contained in the bus, I didn't want to make it where I had to have any hook solar. I would fill up on water, um, drinking water and water sink. And then I had a little gray water tank that um, I could go pretty long on that. And then I had a compost toilet that I very, very, very rarely used. Usually there were bathrooms around or like I would stop at a gas station before I went to the park, you know. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you can shoot me a link to the address for that Walmart in New York because that sounds awesome. And I haven't heard that before. We stayed at Liberty Harbor RV Park when we went to New York and it was on the Jersey side mm-hmm. and it was like 90 bucks a night. I mean, it was sweet because you saw the Statue of Liberty and everything yeah. out the window, but that sounds like a way better option parking at the Walmart. Oh. Uh, that sounds really cool. So a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Like, after this year of traveling around the country in a van by yourself, like what would you say was your, like, your biggest takeaway, biggest thing that you left and you're like, um, like you grew in this particular area? Oh, man. Well, I had done a little bit of backpacking alone in Europe and then like a couple little small solo trips, but this was a big solo one, like a year, quote unquote, alone in a bus. I think the biggest thing I took was just being comfortable on my own, taking myself out to eat at a restaurant. You know, it seems really weird, but if you bring a book, you're not staring at your phone the whole time and kind of like, you know, you don't, I, I didn't feel weird about that. I gained a lot more confidence in myself, just problem solving. I feel like, oh man, you know, once I could do all this, I could, I could do anything. I had a friend who had a similar feeling. She hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and she said after that, she just doesn't worry about anything. She said, if I could do that, then I could solve any problem, you know, whatever life has to throw at me, bring it on. And so after this, I just feel like I've grown a lot, but it was a slow, you know, unnoticeable progression, something that I might've worried about a year and a half ago, two years ago. I don't think I worry very much about now. <laughs> no, I that I love that. That makes so much sense. Before you left, was there family or friends or just un- unsolicited people who were like, what the hell are you doing, Alex? Yeah, my dad. <laughs> Your dad said that? I think um, a lot of kind of like, <laughs> when he found out I bought a bus as my first you know, vehicle registered under my name, he wasn't stoked. <laughs> and he just kind of rolled his eyes. And a lot of members, you know, at first, you know, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You know, or older people that don't really, like, they don't see the cool, like, van life things. You don't have any clue what would draw me to this type of lifestyle, you know. But it's funny because afterwards, like, people who kind of doubted me or questioned me came, like, bigger, the biggest fans. <laughs> you know? so I thought was funny. But I had somebody tell me um, a while ago that, if people ever tell you you can't do a certain thing, it's only because that's something that they're afraid of. They project their fears onto you. You have to keep that in mind at all times. Definitely. But, oh, yeah, something that I noticed while traveling, my opinions on people I meet or hear about throughout the United States is so different. Like, I met people, a ton of people from the South, different out there, you know, even – like in New England, it's like a, it's like another world. It's crazy. 
and it's you know everybody gets together and votes on things we have to keep that in mind that it's just different in different places there's so many subcultures within the u.s oh my gosh yeah and i was very blind to that and then i kind of got to dive into all of that around and hear so many different stories and that totally changed my opinion on politics and everything around the united states not necessarily my opinion like how i think but how i view it yeah no totally if you were talking to somebody who wanted to go out and travel actually we'll just use kelsey because kelsey's going to edit this and uh she wants to go out and hit oh. the road by herself and she'd be a solo you know out there traveling and working on the road and stuff so like what kind of advice, I guess, both in encouragement and tactical advice, would you give somebody like Kelsey who wants to go out and hit the road, but, you know, is kind of dealing with some of the things that you probably went through beforehand, like either people doubting it or even down to the logistical, like money making or being safe on the road and things like that? Oh, my gosh. Nothing is exactly how people describe it or how you think it's going to be. And you really have to go to, to figure it out. If you are driven in any way to take off and travel like this, you know, think about a few things you'd want to see, but keep in mind that you, you are going to, you know, break away from your comfort zone. It's going to feel weird, but it's going to feel good in the end. And yeah, set goals for yourself, whether you make them or not, just set those goals. And just like, if I can do it, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I still like my luxuries, like, I like my hot showers. I like, you know, I'm a girl that like, I put on makeup usually before I leave the house. Like I have these comforts and I didn't have to get rid of any of them while living in a van. Sometimes I made adjustments, but I still got to definitely be myself, but just while in a tiny, tiny little house that moves around. I love it. And it becomes like a really safe space to you, but it also makes your backyard be a you know continent <laughs> wherever the road is that's your that's your backyard that's awesome so my last question i ask this each episode alex is uh how would you define success for yourself in this lifestyle like traveling around the country in a van uh, just traveling in general that's a really hard question because that's something that i still struggle with most of my friends are getting their big jobs or their big breaks they're starting a family and i'm not necessarily like not successful because I'm not doing those things. It's just a different success. I want to be, I want to be a wise person. I want to see past material things and kind of, you know, experience life in a different way. And me being able to actually execute that and keep a level head, that's success for me. <laughs> Would you do you feel a strong draw to go and do those things like have the traditional lifestyle like I don't I don't, I don't know if you do but I I personally like of even course. even being out on the road it's like I all the time kind of feel this draw to like do more be more make more have more respect and and a lot of times I have to like find myself and push myself back and be like you chose this life for a different reason and I think it's not that yeah. those things are inherently bad but sometimes there's like this this invisible pool to go and uh, just achieve more blindly instead of saying like this is real is this really what I want to do and I think there's like a tug of war happening there and I do you feel that? Yes, I absolutely do. I absolutely I wonder if I'm living up to like you know 
everything that people or my parents thought I could and should be. But, you know, it's just a different way of doing things. And it's interesting. I meet a lot of people who will take that idea or that trip and they'll put it on the bucket list. And that's where that stays on the bucket list. But once you do that first thing and you kind of realize that it's totally like doable, it's totally achievable feel like you can achieve it all and you could do it all you can do everything on the bucket list don't even make the list just start doing things (laughs) i don't know it's 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 a really fun lifestyle and it seems it would seem wrong to like break away from it now and kind of live the very stereotypical american dream lifestyle but i don't know maybe this is the american dream (laughs) i think i think it is and i think more more that's why so many people are wanting to transition into this lifestyle and it's like you know if when we're all 60 70 80 90 years old it's like you know, after traveling for a few years and getting to go see the world, you know, when you have your time and energy to go do that, you know, if you come back and, you know, or if you continue traveling, if you do that forever and, but there's some type of, you know, like, I don't know, for, for us, like there was a, there was a sustainability goal Mm -hmm. that I had after a year on the road. Cause so many people were like, do it while you can, how's your trip? You know, it's very temporary. And so there's kind of this chip on my shoulder. It's like, you know, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to make it sustainable. And I want to be my own version of successful. And it's not anybody's, it's not other van lifers or RVers who, you know, you know, for me, it's like, I probably work more than a lot of other RVers because I enjoy it. And those are goals that I have, but I do want to have some balance of being able to see beautiful things and enjoy my travels and be in cool places when I take time off work. So I don't know, like, you know, I I just don't think... Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll have the same regret, at least in one area of our life, as far as travel is concerned, because like we've done, you did it. You know what I mean? Like if everyone, if we're all kind of reaching, working towards the same finish line, it's like, well, you know, just because you maybe had an extra year or two in the workforce, and I don't think you're ever going to, you're never going to regret, you know, going out and having these really awesome adventures. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my two, two cents. <laughs> I definitely agree. And um, I met a guy who owned, it was a long story how I met him, but it was in the NASA, he owned the NASA Space Center down in Mississippi. Wow. And he saw the bus and we got to chatting. He invited me back the next day to his office and he said, you need to start your resume over. Don't put, you know, you don't put all the coffee shop jobs down, but put a first page where it has like all the places you've traveled, how budgeting has been, you know, how did you do that? And like, how, what kind of skill sets did you take from traveling? Because this is your resume now. Like he said, I would, you know, if you wanted to stay and work, I'd hire you on the spot to work here at the space center. You know, you have so much skills, but just from, I never looked at it that way. Just from like traveling and doing this different lifestyle, you're kind of getting a really great toolkit set up for if you do want to dive in and take a career path, you know, you've got a lot going for you. He made me feel really good about doing all this. And yeah, a lot of people will look at him look at the bus be like oh what a cute little diy project or like when are you coming home how's your trip and <laughs> you're like ah oh, it's, it's it's more than that you know this is my lifestyle this has been a small thing to me but then you have to be like oh I'm coming home soon <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, absolutely i mean what he said is is so true because if you think about it everyone has like if the bulk amount of people do a traditional uh, do something similar you know like whether that's going to college and getting a job or whatever you know, like there's only, we have our different life experiences, but there's like a varying degree of differences that you can have and doing something as complex and, you know, arduous as 
renovating an old school bus and traveling around the country by yourself for a year, like it gives you things that you can only have if you do that. And the confidence of knowing that you can figure stuff out and that you can find jobs in different random places and you can pick up gigs like it's it's extremely underrated, mm-hmm. you know, and so like you definitely shouldn't like yeah. be be pride be proud that of yourself. Like that's awesome. <laughs> I know I've become on a final note such a like a I'm like almost religious about like really seemingly cliche quotes now. Like I swear by them, like life begins where your comfort zone <laughs> ends. I'm all about that. It's not just a cheesy quote. So true. <laughs> Other quotes like that. It's not the destination it's the journey i'm like yeah i'm so about it (laughs) that's awesome well alex thank you so much for being on the podcast where can people connect with you online and learn more about what you're up to oh um it's alex etzelart.com etzel's my last name so it's spelled a-l-e-x-o-e-t-z-e-l-l-a-r-t.com and I'm still in the process of finishing a few things on there, but yeah, it's definitely open for anybody to view. Look around. Instagram is just Alex Etzel, A-L-E-X-O-E-T-C-E-L-L. I'm out there. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to attend our next RV Entrepreneur Summit in Fredericksburg, Texas, from February 22nd through the 25th, tickets are going on sale today. We already released our early bird tickets for the summit and they sold out within less than two hours. So they're going to go quickly. And if you haven't yet heard of it, the RV Entrepreneur Summit is a four-day event. We hosted it for the first time this past year. Last year, we had 120 people come and it was a blast. For a few days, we hosted workshops, keynote talks, and a lot of community building events for people to connect with each other. And this is one of the most valuable parts of any in-person gathering is just the people that you meet that can support you and uh, encourage you along the way. So if you want to learn more and see our list of speakers, we have people such as Technomadia, Less Junk, More Journey, who you've heard on the podcast, who are going to be speaking. Go to therventrepreneur.com and you can learn more there. I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. <laughs>